listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome, everyone, to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us today. So we just started a new series called Good and Angry, where we're talking about uh, what it looks like to be angry and how we deal with that as disciples of Christ. So we actually did a podcast last summer where Ryan talked with Bruce about anger which was really amazing. And so we thought that we would post that again because it was so helpful. Ryan, what was that conversation like? Yeah, so this was way back in July. This is towards the beginning of all the COVID uh, time frame. And so there's a lot of different things going on in the media that was causing a lot of anger. And really, even though it's been many months since then, a lot of what we talked about still holds up today and thought, man, it'd be really great to revisit that conversation as we're starting this good and angry message series. So uh, hopefully those of you who are listening, if you didn't catch that podcast episode before, this is a good refresher and a good way to start off this new series. All right, Bruce, thanks for being here today. Hey, so happy to be here, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So just this week, I saw a headline in national news site. It got syndicated. uh, Even in some of our local news, it said, Americans are living in a big anger incubator. Anger is something I know that I've heard you talk a lot about in the past, and uh, you've done quite a bit of research and soul searching on the topic. And so I want to talk with you about anger. Uh, How do you see anger as a major component to what's going on right now in our world? Oh, just like the, you know, the headline said, I mean, anger is this incubator in our world for a number of reasons. Uh, One is just in this global pandemic, it's put us uh, in close proximity to one another with a lot of limitations and challenges. So there are interpersonal issues with the, the pandemic itself. I mean, we just have so much stress, even in a home. When I think about, uh, in most homes, for instance, you have you know, both people working in that home and they have demands on their life and they're trying to figure out a new way to work from home. And then you throw in the fact that their children and those children require parenting, you know, and so someone's not teaching them in school or they're not, you know, being cared for by some other person. And so, uh, matter of fact, we're tasting that a little bit these days, you know, in my house, my, my daughter, Sarah Beth is here and her three boys, they're five, two and five months and uh, they're living with us. And so even though she's here and she's a great mom, the, the issue is still there that Susan's working, I'm working, and there are challenges in the way we work and, of course, in the very important uh, role of raising kids uh, at the same time. So that's part of it. I just can't imagine how much uh, anger is getting displayed, even in really good relationships uh, these days. And then you turn on the news. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And you got the political season, which just fosters a lot of anger with racial tension and, uh, of course, Corona Geddon saga and do you wear a mask and not wear a mask? And uh, people get all emotional about that as well. And um, and then uncertainty. You think about how much uncertainty there is financially, uh, uncertainty about vacations. People have vacations scheduled. And so is that ever going to happen? And uh, anytime we feel that kind of uncertainty, it makes us feel out of control and being out of control oftentimes um, raises our, our anger quotient um, personally, but also, you know, in, in our home. So I thought yeah, it was that's time what, to that's, give. 
I was going to say, one, that's one thing that I've really noticed, especially as we're getting into the summer and we're looking towards the fall, all the things, the plans that we normally have to make around this season about the fall and school, there's so much uncertainty, even this past week about what's school going to look like coming this fall. And there's a whole lot of uncertainty about that, which causes a lot of different uh, emotions going on inside you, anger being one of them. Yeah, because we, we want to have some answers and, and we want them to be somewhat informed, right? But anger is um, it's just so ambiguous, uh, which is really interesting because you think about it, uncertainty causes us to be angry and anger is ambiguous. That's why we say to, this, we say to each other sometimes, what are you so upset about? What are you so angry about? Because it's not only ambiguous, it's what we'd say, you know, it's omnidirectional. So it means that uh, it splashes over into areas where we weren't, we didn't even think we were angry about that, but because we're angry in general, it's touching all of our life. I can definitely relate to that. So uh, maybe a good place for us to start talking about anger is to look at what God says about it. So what are some passages that come to mind when, when you think about anger? You know, one of the first ones that comes to my mind, because it is so clear, is uh, in the book of James. You know, the book of James is this wisdom literature uh, written to Jews who are in the, um, they're kind of running from persecution or they're living in persecution. And so it's this very practical book. And so James says in James chapter one, verse 19, says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I mean, I think that's so powerful because it is both applied interpersonally So just between two people, this passage comes into play and it's a powerful passage to apply more corporately, you know, as well. Because really one one of the main ideas is that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So just because you get angry, it does not mean that we're going to get the outcome that you want. I mean, it's almost like James is saying, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to what do you believe about anger and, and why we would get angry in the first place? Because, um, if we don't think it's going to get us what we want, maybe we have to think about it differently because it's not going to get us the justice or, um, you know, the, the right relationship that we all hope for anyway. Yeah. I've heard people often maybe defend their anger as righteous thinking, you know, I, I, I deserve to be angry. You know, I've been wronged in this way, or uh, maybe my circumstances allow me or, uh, you know, justify my anger. Uh, but that doesn't make your anger righteous. So just because you didn't do anything to cause the problem in the beginning and, or, you know, someone that offends you that they were unjust towards one another, uh, it doesn't somehow sanctify your anger as righteousness. So what is the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, actually, I'll, I'll appeal to someone else to get a better answer than I could give. Uh, pastor Scott Sauls, who is an author and a pastor and a guy I really appreciate a lot. He, he different, differentiates the two this way. He says, uh, unrighteous anger attacks people and righteous anger attacks problems. 
No, that's good. Man, isn't that profoundly helpful? Yeah. When, When you think about how unrighteous anger attacks people, I mean, in our cancel culture and with all of the vitriol and the violence, um, you can tell that when people feel like they, they have good reason to be angry, they don't always handle that right. We don't always handle that right. And so we attack people. A good illustration would be, you know, the rioting during all of the conversations about race. I mean, the anger felt, uh, after another injustice against another black person is, well, I mean, we totally get that. Right. I mean, um, but to then go destroy other people's property and do violence against them is a very different thing. Now that's the kind of corporate side of that, but on a more interpersonal side, just because someone says something or does something that makes me angry, that doesn't give me the freedom then to turn around and say something hurtful or hateful or be violent towards someone or, or give them the silent treatment, which is probably what is more common among some of us is some passive aggressive form of attack uh, because we are angry. And so unrighteous anger attacks people. And again, Scott Saul says this, I love this. Righteous anger attacks problems. It brings people together to try to solve a problem so that we can thrive and have human flourishing. So uh, it's really part of what it means to be Christian. Uh, Saul's refers to C.S. Lewis, what I think is a very provocative statement, uh, where he says uh, Christianity is a fighting religion. And then he explains himself by saying, uh, we, we fight the problems in the world that are keeping people from flourishing. That's what he means by Christianity is a fighting religion. So we, we can get angry about it, but righteous anger is going to pull us together and help us seek to, to solve a problem uh, that really serves God and, uh, and helps people. Yeah. I'll give you a good example that I, I think we see in, uh, in our day and really even in our church and community, uh, the sanctuary, which is a foster care placement group, um, I I know the people who lead that, and I can tell you that it was developed out of a kind of anger about seeing what was happening to kids in the foster system. But in their anger, it brought, they just brought a lot of people together to say, we can do better. I mean, let's, let's get this right. And that can happen corporately and it can happen in our homes, right? I mean, it's when a husband and a wife are uh, struggling in their home because, you know, one of them can't get work done or one of them doesn't feel respected. Um, we can come together and work together to try to solve the issue in a way that everyone's flourishing better. Uh, but what starts all that is we feel angry. Yeah. So we just did a, a podcast episode a few weeks ago telling the story of the sanctuary. So cover some of that stuff. So if you're listening in and you want to hear that, like it's it's just a great way to great example of uh, seeing the uh, really just the call of God on your heart to say we, we've got to right this wrong and uh, we've got to do something about it. Uh, what are some other examples of that, especially when you talk about what does this look like in the home? Well, I, I can only imagine uh, that some... Uh, homes where two people are working and yet maybe, you know, the mom is, has spent more time working with her children, parenting her children in the home. And now dad's in the fat middle of the home. And 
is this, you know, being shared equally or does dad's uh, kind of work seem to take most of the energy and mom's just kind of doing what she can. And uh, I, I think there is a coming together to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to let the fact that we're frustrated, we're angry about not being able to get work done or we're angry about, you know, the, the conflict in our home. Uh, but we're going to let that bring us together to bring out some plan that uh, works better for all of us, but it's going to start out with a lot of emotion. Yeah. It's uh, it's like you're reading my mail over here um, <laughs> and that all sounds good. But when people are angry, they don't always act calmly or rationally or helpfully. And so if that's the case for some of the people who are listening, not for me, of course, I've got this yeah. figured out, but for those who are listening, uh, where, where can they start? Yeah, that's, that's good. And I think maybe we should probably talk about where we don't start. Uh, actually that's what the scripture talks about, right. In more than one occasion, uh, so, for instance, when, when we get angry, for everyone who's struggling with anger now, uh, and, and by the way, I, I think that's a very natural thing um, with so much going on. So, where do we start? Here's where we don't start, I should say. Don't turn to social media and then just lose your mind on social media because you're angry about something you read or saw or something that happened Uh, That's just not helpful. I mean, if we would all just ask a question before we ever posted something on social media, is this helpful? I mean, will, will this help people flourish or is it just going to help me feel like I got something off my chest, you know, because that's not uh, the kind of anger that produces the righteousness of God. Not the kind that, you know, just, you just get something off your chest. So don't do that. Uh, Don't drink. When I say don't drink, I mean, some people, they get mad. And so they, they just want to go escape into a drink or some other form of escapism. Maybe, you know, just watch TV or gaming or, you know, therapeutic cleaning, Ryan. I don't know if you do that, but I'm uh, not the therapeutic cleaner guy, but I could definitely relate to like Netflix binging or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we just want to get away from whatever it was that, um, that is making us angry. And so much of our life is fueling that fire right now. So, um, here's why listen to this passage, Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. So Ephesians four, 26 and 27. And the apostle Paul is in this passage. He's describing life in the kingdom, uh, life as, as we are led along by the Holy spirit, how he's changed us. We're not like this anymore. or like this. And uh, listen to one of the things he says here, Ephesians four, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So clearly, anger is a natural emotion. I would say, or at least what I've been taught, is there are four fundamental emotions, mad, sad, glad, and scared, is how I oftentimes say those. So anger is one of those. And anger is loaded with, well, he says in the passage, it's loaded with danger, and it's prone to evil. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be good. It's good. He says, be angry. It moves us to act when necessary. It's an empowering emotion. But it comes with a warning label. I mean, because anger has a shelf life, right? If you don't address the issue that you're angry about, then you just get a poison in your belly. And it begins to cause more and more resentment. And also, 
it, there's, the warning label says that the anger is prone to evil. Uh, that's why it says, you know, don't give the, the devil an opportunity. So when you're angry, you just think about how many times we get in trouble. Maybe we say more than we should have said, or we hurt someone. And uh, maybe it's because we got angry and then we sinned. Um, so when you get angry, think this way. Anger is my responsibility, even if someone else, we could put this in air quotes, you know, made me angry. They made me angry. My anger is still my responsibility. It's my responsibility is how I'm going to handle that anger. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's something that I'm, we talk about that a lot in our own house, just with as adults, cause we need to learn that. But then our, certainly our kids are at that age where that's that, well, he made me do this or he made me angry. And, uh, yeah, we always have to redirect that. Like, well, let me, let me interpret that situation differently and, and put some responsibility more on, on your shoulders. All right. So there's some things that, that we don't do and we take responsibility for our anger, but are there some steps for what we, we should do? Oh yeah. And James one nineteen. that's why it's so helpful. Uh, let me just kind of reiterate part of that. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And what's intriguing in this to me is that he talks about being quick and he talks about being slow. And some of us are quick in the, all the wrong ways, right? I mean, we're just yeah. quick to be angry. It's like when I get mad, I get smart, you know, when I get mad, <laughs> I, I get uh, funny, which is sarcastic. And that's true for some. Um, so he, he says three things that should shape us. One, I'd say it this way, be quick to listen. That's my I would prefer to translate it that way. Um, quick to listen and slow to, to speak or to defend yourself or to build a case or form your argument, you know, be, be slow about that. Uh, it's kind of what Stephen Covey used to say, uh, seek first to be under, to, I'm sorry, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Uh, so I like the, the word listen, because when we listen, when we listen, it includes our eyes. You know, we, we really should listen with our eyes. People need to be seen. That's part of the yearning of the human soul. And when we can look in their eyes, we can see and listen to something beyond their words. We can see how they feel. We can see how they're reacting you know, to what's going on. And so I, I think an important part of saying, well, okay, what should we do then? We got to commit to people to say, um, I will see you. It's, it's what our kids need, right? Somebody say, daddy, daddy, Hey, look, look, daddy, look, daddy. And even if they have nothing to really show us. Um, and it's also what's happening when a, a spouse feels all alone, you know, like they haven't really been heard. Um, I, I think we need to, listen with our eyes. So be quick to listen, Ryan. You know, if we, if we just did this whole thing on listening, just what it would look like to listen to, to each other, then the anger quotient in our interpersonal relationships would go way down, but we don't listen because we think we already know what they're going to say. Cause you know, if it's our wife or our husband, you know, we, we've been married to him a long time and we, we know what they're going to say. And, and, Many times we thought that we were right. We knew exactly what they're going to say. But 
if we could remember to listen with our eyes and to reflect not only what people are saying, but what we see them feeling, all of a sudden people that we're listening to might actually begin to feel heard. And then and only then should we begin to really speak according to what James says, because uh, we want to be slow uh, to speak. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that like in marriage context and then even just thinking about social media. I mean, that's like social media was built not for listening. It was built for people just to say what it was on their mind. And, and yeah, it, it creates all kinds of issues, man. It does. And we need this on the interpersonal level, you know, level, but man, on the corporate level, just think as, as people, we, we need this from the white community in the midst of racial tension this commitment to be slow to speak. And I know that makes some people angry who are accustomed to really explaining, you know, how they are not racist and, you know, they've never been racist. And, um, and yet at the same time, when we are, um, you know, slow to speak, we, we take time to really, um, engage the other person in their pain and no one can deny. I mean, black pain in America is real. I mean, there is a more humble way for us to respond than to immediately uh, when, when we hear the, the pain of black people in America for us to immediately jump to the place of defending uh, ourselves or, you know, trying to uh, make sure that people know we're not a racist there's a more humble way to respond. And, and that's with empathy. That's what listening does. So when we've heard people, then we can be careful about how we speak back to them. Um, I think that would just change that. That would help change the whole dynamic of the way that we communicate as a culture. If people would take this you know, passage to heart and be slow to speak. I, yeah, I mean, I just think about, yeah, if you want, you want movement for, to go forward within a relationship, then you have to start there. I mean, to even just relate this back to, to marriage, if, if you were unwilling to even hear your spouse and what they were feeling or thinking, you're, you're just never going to get anywhere. And so when it comes to just the racial tensions, if you're unwilling to even hear someone's point of view or hear their story, they don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. You're, you're never going to be able to make the progress that ultimately we all hope to, to see, to see some rec, uh, racial reconciliation. Yeah. And it's, it's true in every facet of life. You think about when we have conversations about faith with someone and if we're only focused on the message we want to bring to them, instead of listening to their story, listening to their, maybe they even have objections about our faith or whatever. Um, we, we no longer have that sense of rapport of relationship. We just become that person who thinks we have all the answers and we're just, you know, pushing that on people. And in the family, I think that the struggle with that happens really with parents relating to their children sometimes, uh, you know, as I mean, being there, uh, as, as a grandfather, even right now, I've got to remind myself to slow down and make sure that my, my grandsons feel like I've, I've listened to them. Uh, so you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. 
That doesn't mean you don't speak, by the way, which in, in marriages, I think what happens is some people, they, uh, they just decided not to speak. And so they'd say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not guilty of like trying to sound like I have all the answers and doing all this talking and their spouse might say, that's right. Cause they don't say a word. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not, you know, what he's talking about here either. We need to speak, but we need to be mindful about what we're going to say. So talking about anger, again, bring it back to the real issue here. When we have anger, um, James is clear, be quick to listen, man, there's understanding there. And then very deliberate when we speak so that we're, we're carefully and cautiously saying what really needs to be said, words that are helpful to other people. And ultimately then that means that we're going to be slow to become angry. Um, yeah, I, I want our listeners, maybe you, Ryan, you can think of this. Think of some moment when you saw someone in public who got really angry and maybe just in a flash got really angry. Um, yeah, I can think of, I can think of a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's because if you think about it, we all have an anger quotient, uh, individually, we have an anger quotient. And by that, I mean, you know, if, if we, if water boils at, you know, 212 degrees, then, you know, we, we're living at, you know, 210 degrees and it doesn't take much for us to boil over. That's what I mean by an anger quotient. Well, let me give you this picture. Uh, imagine everyone is holding like a, a bowl of acid as you go about your daily activities. So in the Leighton household, you know, just, it's a crazy picture, but everyone's got <laughs> yeah. this big bowl and it doesn't just have a little acid. I mean, it's, it's full to almost, you know, running over. How would everyone in your household walk around? It'd be very slow and, you know, you'd be very careful not to bump into each other because this is, this is crazy. This is dangerous stuff, right? Uh, and that's what people live like when there's a high anger quotient in their household. So how do we, how should we then interact when uh, the anger quotient is, is really high? Well, th this is a situation that calls for, go back to step one of what James is talking about, slow it all down, take a lot of time to listen, try to gain understanding, be slow to speak, because it's a scary thing to be a, um, a spouse or a friend or a child when the anger quotient is really, really high. Um, God's not like that. God is not a God who is quick to become angry. And uh, that's one of the beautiful things you know, about him. There's a key phrase in the Bible that shows us what God is like. And uh, the guys at the, you know, the Bible project, you know, those, oh, yeah, yeah. those are great videos, man. Especially oh, yeah. you know, videos of overviewing the books and so on. Well, a real recent one of those the Bible project guys uh, did a piece on the character of God. And uh, they based it on the passage that was so helpful for me when it talks about five characteristics of God and listen to uh, the third one. So here's the passage, Exodus 34, six says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Oh God, or excuse me, a God merciful. There's first and gracious second 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So one of the five characteristics of God, by the way, this is quoted more than 20 times in the Bible. This is one of those passages so profound in the book of Exodus that, you know, through the rest of the Bible, when uh, the Bible uh, writers are, are talking about God's character, they go back to this. And one of those characteristics is God is slow to anger. What a powerful thing. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have anger, uh, but he's just slow to get angry. And that's a really big deal uh, to know that God just doesn't fly off the handle. Yeah. So I, uh, I was driving in Houston one day. I'll never forget this story. As a matter of fact, I've shared it with Clear Creek uh, preaching on probably two or three occasions. Um, I was stopped at a light and I, the car right in front of me was this yellow station wagon and the car. Does that betray what year this was? This must have been long, long ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Station wagon. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, think uh, the precursor to an SUV. Uh, so in front of that was a, a pickup, a red pickup. And um, so I'm sitting there at the light. We're turning left and we're all at this red light. And sure enough, the guy in the station wagon, his wife is driving and he gets out of the passenger side and he is angry. And he's yelling at the guy in the red pickup and he goes around to the, uh, to the window and the guy's rolled his window down. Like, you know, what's your problem? He's going to engage the guy. Well, the angry guy out of the yellow station wagon then begins to try to punch him through the window, the open window. And so he's rolling up his window now. And the guy who's angry decides he's just going to kick dents into the side of this red pickup. And he's got a red light. The guy can't go anywhere. Right. And so he's kicking, you know, in the side of the pickup. And I look down and notice in the back seat of that yellow station wagon, three burr-headed little boys. And I think, oh my goodness, this, this is so tragic. Imagine the life of those three little boys. I'm thinking, what is it they're thinking right now? I mean, I, I would bet when you spill the milk, at their house, it is, um, well, it, it's worthy of a lot of anxiety and fear, you know, because dad's just living, uh, with an anger quotient through the roof. And, um, I wonder too, about what does that make those boys think about, um, when something goes on in the playground and one of their friends doesn't treat them right, uh, you know, how quickly are they going to, uh, engage with someone because of, of their anger as well. And my whole point in telling that is God is not like that. I mean, when, when he says that God is slow to anger, God is not like that. And there in our walk with God, what we see is this regular picture of a heavenly father that engages us in a way that we can be, um, I don't, I don't mean we don't, don't get angry, but we can be at peace and we can foster a low anger quotient, peaceful environment, even in our homes. I mean, that guy could have refused to allow some red pickup cutting off his wife driving, which is what I think happened. Uh, he could have 
responded in a way that that did not become such a, uh, you know, a catastrophic situation for him and for his children. Hmm. You know, earlier you asked me to, to just imagine, you know, a scenario like that. Like, you know, when have you seen somebody else fly off the handle a little bit? And it's, it's interesting when you see somebody, whether it's somebody at a grocery store or in traffic. And when you're just the, the bystander who's watching it all unravel, it's easy to, to look at them and think, man, what a hothead. Like, I can't believe they're doing all this stuff. And, you know, they're saying they're behaving this way. And, um, but then you realize that, you know, you've kind of got some of your own stuff too, that maybe you shouldn't be so quick to judge. And so, I don't know. I, I know that, I mean, as we finish our conversation here, you shared on a number of occasions about some struggles with, with anger, especially as a younger man. Uh, but you don't seem like an angry guy now when I hang out with you. And so, uh, how did that change? What's your story with that? Well, I think, um, I think I really was a pretty angry guy in the early days, um, even of Clear Creek Community Church. You know, I, I tell people, church planters sometimes, I, I say a lot of what I did was fueled uh, by anger because anger is an empowering emotion, man. It will keep you going. Um, and when we planted the church, you know, at that time, I was a young man, 33 years old. I had kids seven, five, and three. I was working on my doctorate at the time, planting a church. My life was crazy busy. And um, I remember one day I got angry with one of my kids. And when I got angry, I mean, I got really mad. I don't even remember what, you know, the child did. But I flashed white. And, uh, and, in that moment, I didn't harm my child, but I did frighten myself because I thought this is scary that I would get that angry over some little something that a child did. And I knew I needed help. I needed to find out why I could get that angry over something so little. And, um, so I, I really prayed and just asked God for help and, over a season of time, it seemed not like a, a whole constellation of things kind of came together to teach me about um, myself and my, my own anger, and then to give me some direction as to, to how to treat some of my anger. And so this is a great time for me to even recount that story, because I think uh, we all have seasons where we need to go back to the foundational understandings of you know how God gives us grace for some of our challenges and definitely anger is one of mine. So here's what happened for me. Um, I read, uh, read things about anger, listened to talks about anger, learned some things that just helped my understanding of how anger works. You know, like anger is the second emotion is what psychologists will say that we feel other emotions first, like maybe we feel afraid, but because anger is more empowering, we jump quickly to anger. Um, Anger is omnidirectional. I said that earlier. It hurts others with kind of friendly fire, um, meaning we we get angry and we think that we're just angry at one person, but everyone around us can feel the the fire of our anger. And uh, anger gets worse when we don't express uh, other emotions. That was all part of my learning. And uh, what that meant for me is that I. Um, I realized that the home that I was raised in of the four main emotions, mad, sad, glad, and scared. Uh, one of those was kind of illegal. 
it was sadness because sadness was pitiful. And, you know, I don't think there was any evil intent in my parents or anything. They were trying to teach us to take responsibility for ourselves, you know, solve our problems, that kind of thing. But in all of that, it got communicated to me, sadness is pitiful. And so you don't get sad, you get mad and do something about it, you know. And um, that was an important lesson for me to learn because it, it began to help me see, wow, this real anger issue it's, it's in me. There's some, some things going on inside of me that really need attention. And, um, I learned that there was a sin beneath the sin of my anger. Um, you know, sometimes when we talk about idolatry, uh, who was it? Was it Luther or Calvin who said sin beneath the sin? Remember Ryan? Oh, I can't remember. I, I feel like whenever I needed need to know it just like that, I say it's Luther or Calvin, one of those two. <laughs> okay. Well, by the sin beneath the sin, what I mean is if, if anger is the sin, I got angry. And again, being angry is not a sin, but we oftentimes sin when we're angry. And so if I, I sin because I'm angry, what I began to realize is why did I get so angry? And so I, I had to do some work to, to begin to understand that um, I had some brokenness in me about getting approval and some brokenness in me about uh, performance and making sure I, I you know, I do the best. And, you know, and that was the pathway to approval, quite frankly. And because of that, anytime someone got in my way from getting something accomplished or winning what I needed to win or whatever, uh, I became angry about that. And what that translated into is in my family life is, you know, I had a certain vision for how my kids would be and how my family would be. And if they weren't acting just so, then they were getting in the way of my approval and my performance. And so all of a sudden I would feel all this anger. And, um, and it was really the, my faith in Jesus that made all the difference for me. Uh, I asked a friend if he'd help me with my anger and, uh, he's a, a guy that was a good pastor friend and he worked at helping me get to the root of that issue and helping me be able to understand that a little bit. But I remember that the breakthrough moment for me came when, uh, he said something to me that I had said myself tons of times, but it just grabbed my heart and really helped me apply, uh, the gospel to my anger he said, you know, Bruce, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. All right. I, I promise you, I'd said that a hundred times myself in my life before I heard him say that. But when he said that, it was like the Holy Spirit drove that truth home to my heart to say, you don't have to be the guy who gets approval or performs all the time to be loved by me. My love for you is predetermined by, you know, my grace. I choose to love you. I demonstrated my love for you on the cross in Jesus Christ. I've demonstrated my love for you in giving you the Holy Spirit and surrounding you by the church and giving you my word, all those ways that God has shown love. And uh, it's like that was just something that washed over me and it began to change me. And when I say it began, I mean, it was profound in the moment. But I continued to change as I continued to um, claim that reality, that truth. When I 
tended toward performance again, or I got bent out of shape because I didn't get the approval I wanted or something. I had to go back to that. You know what? God's love hadn't changed for me. It's still just as great as, as it was that day that I heard that life changing statement. So, um, when I tell people these days that I really struggle with anger, especially as a younger man, sometimes they, they smile and say, you just don't seem like the, the crazy angry type. And, uh, it's like, well, it's in there, you know, but by God's grace, he is, um, he has, and is changing me, uh, along the way. That's a great story. And this is a, a, a beautiful example, a reminder of how the gospel is needed for everyone all the time and how gospel community is needed for everyone all the time that, you know, even uh, a pastor that someone might put on us on a pedestal and think, Oh, well, this guy is the one who's preaching the gospel to other people that now there's, there's, there's a, a need for people to be preaching the gospel to, to you uh, all the time. And uh, man, that's just a beautiful story of how God, God works among the, the church today. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, really, just let me conclude this way. I go back to kind of what James said in uh, in that passage in James 1, 19 and 20. It's just the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I, I would just say to everyone who's struggling with really being angry about uh, something these days, whether it's in your home or because of the politics,